Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-5, through 5, called The Apostasy and the Man of Lawlessness. In 40 AD, Caligula attempted to move a statue, I think it was either of himself or of Zeus, I think it might have been of Zeus, into the Holy of Holies in 40 AD. That's 10 years after the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And it was stopped at the last second. But the story goes that they were on their way to try to get into the innermost place where there's only one single piece of furniture there. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. And somehow it got stopped. But this idea of a man going into this innermost holy of holies is one possible concept. You might, you might think that maybe it means that he's going to try to take a place of preeminence in the church or in the hearts of God's people. I'll let you once again wrestle with that. But I will say to you, because the apostasy is connected with the man of lawlessness, that he may, the man of lawlessness, may be the catalyst for this rebellion. I don't have time to go into it this morning, but one place that we see this is in Revelation chapter 13. And in Revelation 13, we have two beasts that are introduced to us in in the book. And we have the beast and the false prophet. And the beast, ultimately, because he has a wound that gets healed, and there's a lot of debate about what all this means. That's why I'm saying this, this is a more technical study this morning. But the world wonders after the beast. I'll tell you what, let's go there. Revelation chapter 13. I know you guys want to turn a little bit in your Bibles, right? Let's go there. Revelation 13. If you're having difficulty locating Revelation, we have a class for you. It's right before the concordance. And he stood on the sand of the seashore, Revelation 13, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. Many scholars would say out of humanity. Having 10 horns and seven heads, and on his horns were 10 diadems, and on his head were blasphemous names. The beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear. Similes, they were like that. His mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, that is Satan, gave him his power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, Satan, because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? This is a parody of what was said about the God of the Bible. Who is like you? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months. That's three and a half years was given to him. God is still sovereign. It's given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. That is those who dwell in heaven. And it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. And then there's more about this beast and what's going to happen. Let's, uh, we'll skip down to verse uh, 11. I saw another beast coming out of the earth. This is the false prophet. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth 
and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, that believing to be the Antichrist, whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs, so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him, given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and had come to life. And there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast might even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. He provides that no one should be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man. His number is 666. How many of you have ever bought food someplace and it was $6.66 and you're like, add some gum to that. Add a, add a candy bar to that. I can't, I can't pay that amount. That's, that's bad juju. That's bad. I wouldn't worry so much about that. <laughs> but here's what I would say. This is an interesting description of what's going to happen in the world. And it's going to be a person who rises to power, who demands the worship of the world. And some of us, you know, over the years, we've, we've wondered, how could this happen? How could one person control all of this kind of stuff? Until, have you noticed just what's happening recently with technology? What's happening recently with how the power of one person can easily go worldwide? How quickly stores can run out of toilet paper and canned goods? How fickle people can be? How in a worldwide panic, and maybe we've just recently gotten a foretaste of what that will look like, chaos quickly ensues. And it's not hard for people to get very desperate for survival and do some very silly and destructive things. And so this is, this man of lawlessness, many connect him to what we know as the Antichrist. Now I will tell you that the Antichrist, that name is only really in 1 John chapter 2, 1 John 4, and 2 John verse 7. So that as a title, we have to be a little bit careful that we don't all of a sudden connect dots and don't define what we mean by that. But I will tell you this, there are many good scholars who believe that's who we're dealing with. That ultimately there'll be a single individual over multiple kingdoms who will have this kind of power and control. And with the way the world is and the world moving to a castle society and technology and, and the world being, becoming smaller and smaller, this becomes more and more uh, understandable how it could happen. He has the backing of the power of Satan. And you, you've noticed as we read through the verses that there's supernatural signs that happen. He's called the son of destruction. He's, that either means he's doomed to destruction or that he causes destruction or both. And the only person that I know of that's called the son of destruction other than this person in the Bible was Judas Iscariot. In John 13, 27, it says, After the morsel, Satan entered Judas. Jesus therefore said to him, What you do, John 13, 27, do it quickly. This was the man doomed to destruction. Jesus said of Judas, It would have been better for him had he never been born. And this man that will arise connected to the apostasy and the man of lawlessness will be doomed to destruction. And we're going to read in a, in a few verses that he will be slain by the bright return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a false Christ. He's an imposter. But sadly, much of the world will go 
in this direction. I want to show you one more connection to this. It's all the way in the book of Daniel. Daniel is to the Old Testament what Revelation is to the New. Let's go there, Daniel chapter 7. Let me show you where some believe the idea of the man of sin comes. It's Daniel 7, uh, also known as the man of intrigue. Let's take a look. Daniel's getting these night visions, and he says, uh, this is verse 8 of Daniel 7. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, Daniel 7, 8. And three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots. Now, the, the historical setting of this is Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. These are the, the, uh, the horns and the beasts, and they're connected together. So notice, behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man. Some see the man of sin here. And a mouth uttering great boasts. And I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like uh, white snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands of thousands upon thousands were attending him. Myriads upon myriads were standing before him, and the court sat, and the books were open. And I kept looking beyond because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking, this one that had the eyes of the man. I kept looking until the beast was slain. Its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. Now you're going to see in 13 and 14 the coming of Jesus Christ. So notice the interconnectedness of what we've been studying. I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man, that is a description of Messiah, was coming. He came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Now, Daniel was unsettled, as you can imagine, by the vision. 17. These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings. He's getting now an explanation from the angel that will arise from the earth. The saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. I desire to know the exact meaning 19 of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with, with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, and which devoured, crushed, trampled down the remainder with its feet. The meaning of the ten horns that were on its head, I want to know. And the other horn which came up and before which three of them fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts, which was larger in appearance than its associates. And I kept looking at that horn, which was waging war with the saints, sadly, and overpowering them, until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the Highest One. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Now, I can't go in depth on... What I'd like to do here, because we'd be here for about the next three hours and we pass peanuts around so you wouldn't get too hungry. But I think you can see the connecting verses here and how Daniel saw these images and Revelation paints this picture and how Paul has now given us a look at what this is going to look like. Jesus is going to slay this one, back to 2 Thessalonians, with the breath of his mouth, verse 8 of chapter 2, and the appearance of his coming. So we don't have to be Frazzled. We don't have to be upset. We don't have to be freaked out. We have some things to look for. And we have an apostasy, and we have a man of lawlessness that must be revealed prior to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is one second coming, 
and not a rapture seven years or three and a half years before, then these are markers for you and I to know. Now, what does this mean? Well, some of you have heard the idea of the doctrine of imminency, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. What that means is that he could return at any moment. At any moment, there could be a rapture. If there is only a singular second coming, all associated with the day of the Lord, then there is, an, is not an imminent return of Jesus Christ. It's not going to be at any moment, any time. These things have to happen first. Now, could you still be living anticipating the second coming like we could be in the season? Yes. You can still believe that we could possibly be in the season and live in the light of the second coming without believing in imminency. Everybody with me? Here's an example. How could these events, if there has to be a physical temple uh, in Israel uh, for these events to happen, how could they have happened before 1948 when Israel was not even in the land? You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Life on the go can make it difficult to catch up on your study in the Bible. If you think about it, Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance is here for you, kind of like a daily supplement to help your spiritual growth. You can listen to Walk in Truth whenever you want because it's on podcast too. Subscribe to Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. For example, if you have an iPhone, we're on your iPodcast app already on your phone. Walk in Truth is also on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many more. So listen on your hike, during your drive, or while you're getting work done at a coffee shop. Basically, listen whenever you want. Subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Now, could you still be living anticipating the second coming like we could be in the season? Yes. You can still believe that we could possibly be in the season and live in the light of the second coming without believing in imminency. Everybody with me? Here's an example. How could these events, if there has to be a physical temple uh, in Israel uh, for these events to happen, how could they have happened before 1948 when Israel was not even in the land? How could they have happened before 1967 when Israel had no control over Jerusalem? So is imminency really the doctrine that we should be looking at when it comes to the last things? I would say no. I would say you should understand the signs of the times, but it is quite possible that imminency, as one writer put it, is a phantom doctrine. That is, it may not be that Jesus could just return right now, or he could have just returned in 1920, or he could have just returned in 1897, or he could have just returned at any moment in 1820 or 1740. You can go back as far as you want to go. You can go back to the first century. There's been a lot of people who have tried to pin the tail on the Antichrist, right? And in the early centuries of the church, if you read some of the church fathers, they tried to figure out who the Antichrist was. And they had their conjectures and they tried to understand this passage, which was even difficult for them. And then as church history went on, the reformers picked this up and the reformers said the Pope was the Antichrist. And the Catholics said that Luther and the Lutherans were the Antichrist. And then as time unfolded even more, people said Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. And then, you know, in a little earlier days, Mussolini or Hitler or Stalin were the Antichrist. Hey, let's be careful. Don't try to pin the tail on the Antichrist, but have your eyes open to what the Bible says. And don't be unsettled or shaken because the day of the Lord is not coming until we see these things come first. 
That's why in my eschatology, my belief about the last things, I don't get really frazzled about these things. And I don't use that, the idea of imminency. Imminency doesn't have to be motivation to me. I'll give you an example. I was in the supermarket and I met a wonderful lady who is strongly pre-trib, long history Calvary Chapel. She is a phenomenal evangelist. And she said, Pastor Michael, I heard you teach on the rapture and I struggle with what you're saying. And I have to tell you, when I'm in the market or I'm on the street, I tell people, Jesus could come at any minute. You need to get saved. Jesus could come at any minute. You need to get saved. And I thought, that's awesome. But I said, you know what? That's wonderful. And I love your heart for evangelism. But let me just say, you could also share with people that their heart could stop at any second and they should get saved. And don't you think that that's probably a stronger way to evangelize? You're a heartbeat away from eternity, my friend. James says you don't have tomorrow promised to you. So get saved because you don't know how much time you have. There could be the breaking of glass uh, in a car accident and you're before your maker. The the imminent return of Jesus does not have to be your motivation. Death can be it. (laughs) Oh, God's people say, oh, bummer. No, it is a tactic in evangelism (laughs) because everybody knows they got a date with it. Now, they also realize that there's a teaching about the second coming. I was working for a company and I was witnessing to a guy and I, I shared with him all the time and I gave him a Bible tract and I told him a little bit about the last days and I was a younger Christian back in these days. I was saying, okay, so here's what it says and here's what it says over here about this and that. And this guy would not give his life to Jesus, but he kept that little gospel tract on his desk. And about once a week, he would say to me, so Michael, if this happens and that happens, then this, and, and, and then I'll, I'll make sure I get saved, right? And I said, no, get saved now. And it's like he kept the gospel tract on his desk as though it were a lucky charm. If I keep this here, then I remember what you said. Hey, if you can't live for Christ now, do you think you're going to be able to live for him in days that are challenging beyond what some of us could even imagine? Get saved now. Now is the time. Now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Amen? Don't put it off. Now this one is going to go and declare his divinity. He's going to go into the temple of God, declaring that he is God. He wants no uh, competition. There's a guy in uh, the history of Israel named Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a Syrian leader. He was doing damage in the 170s BC. And he was called Antiochus God manifests. That's what epiphanies means. He claimed to be God. He slaughtered a pig in the temple of God. And Jesus, when he's dealing with the last days in Matthew 24, 15, says these words. When you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, and then Matthew says, let the reader understand. Here's a loose paraphrase. Get out of town. (laughs) Get out of the house. (laughs) When you see this abomination that causes desolation, Standing where it doesn't belong, demanding worship, Jesus says that's the time that will spark and signal the great tribulation, the great trouble. Much more could be said. We have teaching on this in the book of Revelation and uh, Daniel that is on our website and on our app. I wish I could do more, but here's the last verse. We'll, we'll, these ideas kind of build one on top of another. We'll talk about the restrainer, who that might be. We'll talk about the second coming more as we move to a second message in chapter two. But look at the final verse, verse five, Second Thessalonians two says, do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Don't you remember I often spoke of this? I'm amazed uh, sometimes as a teacher, 
you'll teach something and you think that people got it the first time you taught it in 1997. What do you mean? I, I taught you guys that, right? But remember, Paul was only with this church perhaps a couple of weeks. And it interests me that in that few weeks with the Thessalonian congregation, he was already teaching about the last days. And they were brand new Christians. So that tells me teaching about the last days is a good thing. It's a biblical thing. And you might be asking, well, Pastor Michael, what do I do with this kind of message? You stay on the alert. You stay on storm watch. But ultimately, here's what you do. You occupy until your Lord comes. He may not come in our lifetime. And if he doesn't, then I want to do as much as I can to make sure as many people as possible come to know him. Amen? I've already got my motivation. He so loved me that he gave himself. I've already got my passion for the gospel, for people to know who he is, for people to be saved from their sin, to be born again to a living hope. And if Jesus comes in our lifetime, we'll buckle our seatbelts and we'll look for our redemption because our champion is coming. But if he doesn't come in our lifetime, we're going to go to be with him. And either way, we will be with him forever. Praise God. So the, the important thing is that we know him. You've been listening to The Apostasy and the Man of Lawlessness, Part 3 on Walk in Truth. That was the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-5. through 5. And don't forget, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget, Pastor Michael is the Senior Pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California. So if you live anywhere in Southern California, we would love it if you would come by and join one of our church services or Bible studies or any one of the many events that we do throughout the year. You can stay up to date by downloading the Living Truth app. The Living Truth app is the one with the red logo with the pillars. Now here's Pastor Michael with some final words. Well, I think the bottom line of uh, the apostasy and the man of lawlessness is that we know what's coming, a great defection. And, you know, many people have been praying for a third great awakening and a a time of revival. And that is my prayer because I don't know when these events are going to happen. But what we do know is that an apostasy, a great defection and a man of sin are going to happen, be revealed, if you will, when we are in the last days leading to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would say that it's really only going to matter to that last generation. (laughs) Amen. I mean, generations have come and gone and people may have thought that they lived in those days, but they didn't. And, uh, And we may not. So what should we do? Well, let's not get sensationalistic. Let's uh, know our Bibles, but let's live for the king. Occupy until he comes. As long as he puts it off, then we have more work to do and more life to enjoy and more to celebrate and more souls to win. And that's why he's putting off his coming anyway. And so speaking of winning souls, I'd like to invite you to our Wednesday night service at Living Truth, where I serve as senior pastor. The church has a Wednesday night 7 p.m. service. It's a little more scaled back, a little bit more casual, usually acoustic worship, usually going through an Old Testament book on Wednesday nights. And we happen to be doing the book of Psalms, Medicine for the Soul, selected Psalms that we go through. and, And I'll tell you, they just speak and they minister and they're medicinal. Join us. Hey, if you can't make it to Living Truth in Corona, right off the 91 Freeway and Lincoln Avenue. You can join us via live stream on our YouTube channel, and you can search for Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona or go to walkintruth.com and 
click on the church tab and you'll get to our YouTube channel. Now, this is really for listeners outside of Southern California because we would love for you to be here in person. You know, I heard a pastor recently say that virtual church, as much as it is a blessing and for some people it's necessary, if you have health concerns, if you are a shut-in and you can't get out. However, he he painted the picture. He said, live stream church is like one of those uh, fireplaces on your TV. It looks pretty, it crackles and makes the noises, but it ain't like a real fire. <laughs> it, it comes close in some ways. It could be pretty and soothing, but it doesn't give you the same warmth. It doesn't give you the same reality. And I think for all of you able-bodied folks who can make it, to your church, um, I encourage you to go. And I encourage you to be part of that fellowship that we're encouraged not to forsake. Well, we're going to have more for you on the uh, Second Thessalonians teaching, actually on the restrainer and the strong delusion. More intriguing stuff from Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the restrainer and the strong delusion. Tomorrow on Walk in Truth. Hey, tell a friend about what you're hearing. Pray for us. Support us if you can, and we will see you, Lord willing, right here tomorrow. One more reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. Your $5 donation helps us broadcast on radio, provide the podcast, and do free apologetic events. It's all part of our mission to equip you with the truth in the Bible and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Please give your $5 donation at walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael's teaching in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 12, called The Restrainer and the Strong Delusion. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.